Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of the Onside Kick Family Hour, SB Nation's NFL podcast. It's Wednesday, April 29th. It's kind of a big week for the NFL, in case you haven't heard, so it's a good thing. I've, as usual, have got Stephen White and Danny Kelly to help us make some sense out of it all. Guys, how are you today? Doing well. Doing great. Excellent. Good to hear. Well, you know, listen, we have... We could do flowery introductions for a long time, but we, we got too much business to get right down to today. <laughs> right. So let's start with the big thing that's kind of bubbled up in the last hour or so, the, uh, the Cleveland Browns-Tennessee Titans trade rumor. The Browns reportedly offered their, their first-round picks, the 12th and 19th overall picks of the first round, to the Titans to move up to number two for Marcus Mariota. Um, there's some dispute within ESPN internally as to whether or not that's happened. It, it looks like to me one guy's getting it from the Titans and one guy's getting it from the Browns. So it's out there. And it's this is the kind this is about as solid as it gets for rumors in the trade rumors in the twenty four hours before the draft. So Steven, what do you make of it, first of all? Um I mean it's the Browns being the Browns, I guess, right? <laughs> uh, it, it, you know there's a couple of teams in the NFL that basically there's no rumor that's too outlandish for people to kind of actually take seriously. Uh, the Browns are one of those teams. And <laughs> so you almost expect them to do something Brown-ish like this every year. Uh, you know, you have to, you, 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 you kind of reach and get Johnny Manziel because a homeless guy told your owner <laughs> that you should get him. Now, now you're offering up two first round picks and evidently that's not really supposed to be enough. For them to move up to number two, so who knows what else they're going to throw in to sweeten the pot. But, you know, who knows? Maybe this is the Titans trying to get other people involved, wanting to uh, jump up to that number two pick or whatever. But either way, you just can't discount this because it's the Browns. No, and and somebody said, too, and then I think you kind of hinted at this, Stephen, but this sounds a lot like one of those leaks where they're sort of, you know, hey, we're going to tell it, we're going to broadcast the uh, the price out here for everybody, or at least the starting point for what we, you know, the kind of offers we're getting for the second overall pick. If we're going to, you know, if so, if you want to, if you want to make a deal, you got to come at us with something better than that, which is consistent with what you've heard in the past. I mean, in the past, there have been some talk like the Titans would want more than just two first round picks. They maybe want, you know, maybe not something, maybe not a package as big as you know, what Washington gave the Rams in 2012 to move up to number two to get RG3. But, you know, maybe something beyond, you know, with an extra second rounder, with, you know, with an extra first round pick next year or something like that to move up to to move up to that spot. And, you know, it goes hand in hand with the talk yesterday and I guess really all through the draft season that the Titans have really, you know, they've been working the phones themselves to see about a possible deal. From, from number two. So it, it sounds like at least something's happening. Danny, do you think anything's going to happen at that number two spot tomorrow? Well, you know, we <clears throat> we talked about or we'd heard about the Philip Rivers rumors for a while. Yes. And those seem to have died down. So, um, you know, maybe this is the Titans kind of trying to drum it back up and, and get some action going on um, since maybe the, the, the Chargers are balking at whatever price or whatever is going on with that. Um, so, you know, I actually, you know, I think someone will end up trading into that two spot. Um, it just doesn't seem like the Titans want to take Mariota there and they want to get the most value for it, for that spot. Um, but it's just a question of who and, and, and how much it's going to cost. And, you know, there's just so many so many teams out there right now that 
could potentially do it. You know, whether it's the Jets, the Eagles, you know, some some dark horse team that's really not even been in the discussion at this point. Um, you know, we had a podcast yesterday, and, and the idea that maybe the Saints could do it uh, came up. And so, you know, if the, as they're looking for an eventual replacement for Breeze, you know, so it's just there's there's so many teams that that could have interest in him as a developmental. You know, not even the guys that not even the teams that need a like a quarterback right away, but mm-hmm. people that you know two years down the line want to have a starter. So, um, I think eventually someone is going to trade into that spot. The the obvious question is. You know who, but <laughs> yeah, you know we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Well, and you can't rule out the Eagles. I mean, they're still the Eagles are still connected to that spot. Mariota, yeah. obviously, I mean for obvious reasons, Chip Kelly knows Mariota, knows the system. I mean, you know, is the kind of quarterback obviously he's familiar with and would want there in Philadelphia. And and people don't seem to quite buy into whether or not Sam Bradford is is a viable long term answer there. But, um, you know, that's another situation that bears watching. I don't know. I, I mean, obviously, I think Philadelphia is the easy one it, to, to say, like, well, Marcus Mariota fits best there because of, you know, his connection with Chip Kelly. But it, and it seems less so if you're looking at sort of the extremes than maybe with like Wizenhut and the Titans. Where, where's another good? Where do you guys think? Let's start with you, Stephen. Where's a, a team, a good fit for Mariota? Uh, well, of course, <laughs> Everybody's going to say the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, that's the top uh, choice. But I actually do think uh, a team like the Saints that already has an entrenched quarterback where he can just really sit behind and learn Mm -hmm. and and then be able to maximize all of his physical abilities and his uh, physical tools that he's been blessed with would definitely be the perfect situation for him. I I don't necessarily think he needs to start right away or should start right away. So you kind of want to have that that entrenched guy that maybe has a couple, two or three years left and have him sit behind him and learn. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, the perfect spot is the Eagles because that coach, Chip Kelly, knows what to do with him, and he's proved that before when he had him in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it would just be fantastic to see the ways that they could use him. Another place uh, which they don't necessarily need another quarterback but I've been thinking about this since yesterday. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, man. Yeah, I was uh, just thinking that too. Yeah, uh, that that's another spot that I think they probably have some some bigger needs, and I know they have uh, entrance number two quarterback. But I think he will be perfect with Andy Reid as well. Yeah, very much so. It's interesting you mentioned New Orleans. I, I one thing that's kind of gone under the radar, I think, is Sean Payton and the the Saints' offenses starting to look a little bit more, is taking some cues from Philadelphia or vice versa. I mean, you know, but he's, you know, that's a pretty, pretty well, regardless of what you think about him as a head coach, he's a pretty smart guy when it comes to running an offense. And that's an interesting situation because obviously Breeze's contract is a burden. He's not getting any younger. It's not something, you know, that the Saints five years from now can plan on Drew Breeze being their guy anymore at that point. So it's a smart move for something like that. And I think that's how teams, I mean, you look at the Packers and how the Packers have, you know, you, you hear the constant praise for the Packers front office and, and what they do in the draft every year and, and how they don't spend big at free agency. But, you know, it really just like kind of all comes back. Hey, man, they made a smart move when they drafted Aaron Rodgers in the first round in 2005, even when they had Brett Favre. They let yeah. him sit there. He got to develop. No pressure on him. And that's just not a luxury most teams really have anymore. But the Saints are an interesting case for that. And maybe that's why they went out and traded Jimmy Graham, got that first round pick. <clears throat> you know, looking towards the future, they they maybe they're realizing right now that um, 
their window <clears throat> perhaps is kind of closing with Breeze and, and they want to start looking for the future. And so, you know, that could be one in a string of moves that they had that in mind. You never know. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next trade rumor. This one's not quite as big because it's not one that's really just percolated all spring, but there's been some talk in the last couple of days that the Buccaneers are fielding and calling teams about, you know, some interest in the first overall pick. And this is really, you know, I don't know if this is just a smoke screen or if this is just sort of the kind of talk we have to deal with in that 24-hour window before the draft. Uh, Stephen, what do you make of this? Well, I, I think, one, it makes sense because the, the Buccaneers are not one player away. Obviously. Right. I don't care which quarterback they select. I don't care how good that guy ends up being. They need a lot of help on the offensive line. They need a defensive end. They need help in the secondary as well, um, specifically in safety. So if they could get some kind of major haul for a team that wants to move up in the first, uh, to the top pick, then of course you gotta you gotta consider that because that would put you further along uh, rebuilding your team. A team that only won two games last year and some like five the year before. Yeah. To to getting back to a, a playoff uh, a type team with that kind of talent, but it, it's just a bad year for that. I think I think the consensus is Jameis Winston should go number one overall. Yeah. And he's got too much baggage off the field to people for people to feel comfortable mortgage in their future to go up and get them yeah and then the only other guy maybe is on the wheels but you're pretty confident that you'll be able to get him lower at two or three where conceit you know you would think that you wouldn't have to pay as much to move up to two or three as as it is to move up to number one so i think they're stuck making the pick whether they want to or not and i think the pick is going to be james winston yeah, it really almost has to be. I, I worry about him though with that offensive line. Like you say, that's a tough that's a tough group right now the way it is. The way oh, it looks on paper. You're being a- very charitable to them. <laughs> they, they fucking suck. And look, and I and, and I've been honest about that since last year. Uh people didn't want to hear it at the time. I, I told them early on in the season, I said we probably won't win another game with this offensive line. Nobody wanted to hear it. We ended up winning one more, so I guess I was technically wrong. But we have done nothing to fix it. That that's the whole point. If your offensive line sucks, you would expect that you would be active in free agency trying to plug that hole, so to speak. We have a hole at right guard. We have a hole at left tackle because uh, we cut our long-term left tackle last year to bring in Anthony Collins, and he didn't work out. Yeah. So now, in addition to finding a quarterback, we got to find all these positions to fill up front. So, you know, like I said, getting a, a major haul from the number one pick, it, it would be great. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. Well, it makes sense too. You you think you'd have to think that they're going to, I mean, we'll see, you know, it's always depends on who's available. We'll see. uh, Like right now it's like, how do they justify taking anybody but an offensive lineman with that early second round pick that they have if they do take Jameis Winston first overall? Yeah, if they take anything but an offensive lineman, you'll hear me screaming all the way from town. <laughs> and it won't be a pleasant scream at all. It, it, you know, it just – and I understand best player available and all that. But listen, when you have a need as glaring as the one that they have, you can't afford to wait till later on in the draft, especially after you already bypassed the early part of free agency. Right now, we're kind of on slim pickings. Even in the draft, you know, your second-round pick isn't going to necessarily be the top guy in the draft unless somebody falls inexplicably. So, look, you better take off offensive line right there. I, I think most people in the Tampa Bay area understand that as well. 
All right, Danny, let's come back to you. I want to ask you about the, the potential of the Falcons trading. That's been something that's been kicked around for the last few days with the uh, ideal target, I guess, being Dante Fowler, a guy that Dan Quinn knows pretty well from his days uh, coaching at Florida because that's a guy he recruited. You, you heard him talk a little bit about that back in February at the Combine. You obviously know Dan Quinn from his time with the Seahawks. Danny, is this a good idea for the Falcons, and do you think they'll do it? You know, I, th- I think it makes sense on a couple of levels. First of all, if you're going to be trading up for a pass rusher, uh, it helps to have, you know, a really strong history on the guy. And Dan Quinn, you know, formerly coaching him, he knows him. He knows the coaching staff there. He, he can get unique information about him. Um, so that, that mitigates a lot of the risk that you normally have taking a guy that early. Um, second of all, you know, he's, he's talked ad nauseum about affecting the quarterback. That's kind of the theme that he's always used with, both with the Seahawks and now with the Falcons and um, it's just a big part of his defense, affecting the quarterback, whether it's pressures, uh, you know, moving the quarterback, sacks, just all that, and, and, it, and it plays into their pass defense as well, you know, how they, how they like to defend the, the pass in terms of, like, press on the outside and things like that. So mm-hmm. it all kind of works together. Um, so it really wouldn't surprise me if that was his goal and if that was kind of their number one target because it could have a big impact on, on their defense and, um, you know, going out and getting – you know, a guy that a lot of people considered the best pass rusher in the class, that, that would be a big, big deal. Obviously, the, the compensation, you know, matters, and the Falcons have a history of, draft, uh, of trading up in the past. So, you know, maybe they, maybe they don't want to do that again. But it, it's definitely a really interesting idea, and, and I think it would make a lot of sense. Well, they'd be moving up. They're at eighth right now. They're, they've got the eighth overall pick. So there's a good chance that one of the top pass rushers would fall to them at eight, but probably not Fowler, who's a guy – that obviously they've been connected to the most in these trade rumors. Now, Stephen, you broke down Fowler, and they probably you're talking about moving up to third, eight from third, so you're jumping five spots. It's probably not a huge you know, compensation package they'd have to give. It was like what they did with Julio Jones that time when they drafted Julio. But, uh, Stephen, you broke down Fowler. Is this worth it to you? You've seen Fowler play. You know what he could do. I'll say for me, no, but because Dan Quinn has a relationship with him and has probably followed him his whole career, mm-hmm. he knows if that's exactly what the guy that he wants, mm-hmm. right? It, it, this isn't going to be, you know, any question about whether the guy, that guy is going to fit into his scheme because he knows him well. And so if he did go up to get Fowler, I would trust his judgment on that. For me personally, I just didn't see enough right in the mix pass rush from him. He's able to get to the quarterback a bunch of different ways. They used him a bunch of different ways, but just as far as putting your hand in the dirt and beating an offensive tackle to get to the quarterback, I just personally didn't see that enough on film. Mm -hmm. But like I said, when you know for sure that this is the guy that you want, then you do whatever you have to do to get that guy within reason, in in my opinion. Yeah. Let's move on to the other big, uh, the other big trade talk that I think everybody's watching for ahead of tomorrow, and that's the Adrian Peterson situation. Which, it, you know, just on the surface of it, it looks to be fairly resolved. The Vikings are pretty adamant that they're they're not going to trade him away, and if they do trade him away, it's going to be a pretty hefty asking price. The kind of which a first round pick plus maybe more, which is. Not a price a lot of teams are willing to pay, and it isn't even the Cowboys seem unwilling to to do that. <laughs> and so, if the Cowboys have you know wised up to the point where they're not going to mortgage the future on a on a on a big time running back like that, it, it's fair to wonder now whether Peterson gets traded at all. Do you, Danny, do you think Peterson gets traded this weekend? Well, I mean, you know, 
based on the GM's comments yesterday, I think you know he said in no uncertain terms that they're not trading him. But you know that doesn't always mean anything. Um, you know, I've been kind of watching it, and and the Cardinals have been connected to him, and so like the NFC NFC West connection there, I've been kind of monitoring it, mm-hmm. and so. Um, I, I, you know, at this point, it doesn't look likely. He's getting older. He's he's going on thirty. He's an he's an amazing, you know, potential future Hall of Fame player. Obviously, but like you said, it's a huge cost, and he's got a huge contract. And you know, unless a team sees him as like the one key to winning the the Super Bowl, um, I don't think that it's going to happen. And so, um, you know, like you said, Dallas has actually shown some restraint and. Um, you know, if they're willing to kind of decide that it's not worth it, then I, I just can't really see other teams doing it. And I and I don't think the Cardinals' offensive line is really good enough to, you know, warrant. Like he, I, he's going to make a difference. Obviously, he's going to be better running back than what they had last year. But I don't know for sure that he's going to be like the big like he's going to change their offense. He's completely. not the player that puts them over. I mean, he's not the guy. Right. Cause if you're in Arizona situation. You're essentially looking like listen. Everything they do this season has to be geared toward beating Seattle for the NFC West championship, NFC West title this year. Yeah, I mean they have to look at it as coming out on top of the Seahawks this year, because that's kind of where they are, I think, in terms of building their team and and, and working out their roster. So, Peterson, uh, Stephen, is Peterson a guy to you that puts the Cardinals over the top for that? I don't think he will put them over the top. I do think he makes them competitive in the NFC West. Mm-hmm. But if I'm the Vikings, yeah. I, I've said all, all along, I'm not letting Peterson out of the building. Uh, yeah. With the way the new CBA is set up, they really have no reason to. Yeah. You know, it used to be a guy could hold out and be disruptive and stuff like that. Look, Adrian Peterson is going to end up owing the Vikings money if he holds out during training camp, the way this new CBA is set up. Yeah. And so... And they don't have to just, you know, put up with him being a disruptive teammate either. They can send him home. Yeah. You know, that's the old Keyshawn Johnson rule. And so they have so much power in this new CBA when you have a guy under contract like they do with Adrian Peterson. Plus the fact that Adrian Peterson is making so much money mm-hmm. on, on the contract. Then why would you let another team get better, especially, you know, in your own conference? Yeah. Uh, when you could just keep that guy and hope he comes to his senses. So for me, if I'm the Vikings, you would have to give me one of those Dallas Cowboy deals for me to consider <laughs> giving up Adrian Peterson because, for one, we really need him for our offense so it can take a lot of pressure off of Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. And for two, I'm not going to give up, give him up cheap so I can make your team just that much better. It's just not going to happen, not with this much power that they have over his situation with the new CBA. No, and two, you know, I'm just looking at his contract numbers here. It's like he, you know, they can, they would take, if they just cut him outright this season, they'd take a big cap mm-hmm. hit. But if they wait, they give him one more year with the team and wait and cut him next year. I mean, his salary is still up there, but the, in terms of guaranteed money and, and the cap hit, it goes way down after this season, where to the point they can afford to, you know, they can afford to drop him if it doesn't work out after after one more year there. It's not, you know, they can do it without having any dead money on the cap whatsoever in 2016. So eh, it just, it just, it, to me, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. I know it's one that everybody's sort of banked on uh, in the rumor mill heading into this thing, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. And that brings up another interesting point because this is a really good year for running back. And we've talked about Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon on this show before. So I just really quickly want what do you think, do you guys want to get your predictions? Steven, both those uh, guys go in the first round. 
I think Todd Gurley for sure. Now that his his knees checked out, still not sure about Melvin Gordon. The the thing that makes me think Melvin Gordon might go at the bottom of the first round is there's a lot of people talking about how, uh, you know, this is this isn't necessarily a strong draft in the first round. You got like 17, 18, 19 strong picks, mm-hmm. and then everybody else is kind of. Mm. I think he could sneak at the, sneak in at the bottom of the first round for that very reason. Because there, there's some other positions where it, this is just kind of a weak year. Yeah. Uh, but but Todd Gurley, for sure, I, I think now that his knee has checked out, unless there's something going on with it that we haven't heard about, and that would be abnormal for, for a lying season, as we call it, uh, I, I just don't see him making it out of the first round. Yeah. Danny? Yeah, yeah and I, I completely agree. Um, you know, pretty much point for point. I, it's like... A, John Schneider in Seahawks land over here, he talked about um, how they the Seahawks only have 16 or 17 first-round grades this year, and that's what part of the reason they traded for Jimmy Graham because they felt that the you know 32nd, 31st pick, getting that player for that value is, is just a better, you know, it's just better for them because they didn't have that many guys graded in the first round. So there's more like 60, 70 second-round grades, I think, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I really... I said last week, I'm not as high on Melvin Gordon as some people are. And so um, I personally wouldn't pick him in the first round. But I think, you know, like it only takes one team to like him. But um, it just kind of depends on where teams value, like who needs a running back and and if they're willing to spend that much money because he could go anywhere from the late first round to the late second round, I think. And, um, you know, it just kind of depends on what the teams do. But for me, I would would only pick Gurley in the first round and – um, I just am not quite as high on Gordon as a lot of people are. Understandable. And, and this is a pretty good year for running backs, too. You don't have to – I mean, obviously, Gurley is, you know, heads and shoulders above the rest of the pack. But, you know, you have J.A.J. out of Boise State. It's a guy I really like. Uh, hell, what, Tevin Coleman. Um, yeah. Shit, the guy out of Nebraska you mentioned earlier today, Dan. I can't remember his um, name. Abdullah. Um, Abdullah, yeah. yeah. Abdullah. There's Duke Johnson. There's – uh, TJ Yeldon, there's a whole bunch of guys that, you know, offer some pretty good value in the second and third rounds that, you know, I don't know how much different, you know, the grades are going to be on all those guys. And is it really worth taking Gordon in the first? I guess that's kind of my question. Right. Let's move on. Speaking of potential first round picks, um, it's not quite as much of the story today just because everything else is going on, but it was the talk of the town yesterday and that's Missouri Shane Ray. He got, um, he got a citation, not an arrest, not a uh, you know, not a jail time or anything for having. Uh, he got caught in Missouri with uh, marijuana on him. Um, so he got the citation. It was less than a certain, I think, less than thirty-five grams or you know, whatever that threshold was to where he got the citation instead of a full-blown arrest or anything like that. Does this hurt his draft stock, Danny? To you? Yeah, I think it does, honestly, and. Um, you know, More so than say Randy Gregory in the failed test. I mean, how is that com- to, to to compare those two? The situation there. I mean, I think they're pretty similar. You know, I, it's it it goes to the the reliability of the players. I think teams are going to look at it like you know, if these guys know they're under intense scrutiny for this whole period, can you trust a guy to you know during the season to lay off and and not get busted for any of that? You know, because they say that. You know, you, you hear stats thrown around that, like, whatever percentage of the NFL still smokes weed, do they just know how to get around the testing? And that's fine and everything. And, I, and you know, I think 
just in general, things are going that way where weed is really not that big of a deal. But I think in terms of the reliability and the trustworthy of the players, it says a lot that they're not um, that they're they're getting popped for this kind of stuff right now. You know, when when so much is on the line. So yeah, I think that's kind of a huge red flag. Like you know, um, and teams will look at that like, are we going to be able to trust this guy not to get busted? You know, when well, they sure. when we really need him. Right, absolutely. And I'm going to throw this back to Stephen because this is something we <clears> talked <throat> about a little bit last week in relation to Randy Gregory. Stephen, your thoughts on how this impacts Shane Ray? Well, I think that is going to be uh, different impacts on different teams. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Normally yeah. I would just say, hands down, this is going to affect his draft stock. But it's so close to the draft, right? You don't really have time to let it even sink in what's happened with this kid. And so I think for some teams, they're going to look at it like this. He made a mistake, but this is not a pattern. This isn't something that we know of happening over and over again with him in Missouri. It wasn't like when the cop came up, he was smoking a joint. They happened to find (laughs) uh, the marijuana. I mean, and and seriously, though, he had the weed on him, but he wasn't smoking weed. He wasn't... uh, it's a minor thing, but it could be a major thing for a team that doesn't want the headache of, look, we need a pass rusher, and now this is the guy we really want, and now we're not going to get him just because he had a little bit of weed in the car. So uh, I think there's going to be some people that say, this is stupid. He's trying to get weed the week of the draft. He's got bad decision-making. We're taking him off our board. But there's going to be other teams that are a little bit more permissive that say, look, let's be honest here. This kid really just, you know, it was just a victim of circumstances. He hasn't been caught with weed. He hasn't got popped before for a, a positive. He wasn't smoking weed in the car like LeGarrette Blunt and those guys. Yeah. He just happened to run up on the wrong Barney Fife that time <laughs> in the wrong place in time. So I do think for some teams it's going to be a major issue. But, look, you know, it's kind of like when you've committed uh, to, to going out with the woman and she's fine and all this and then you find out something bad about her right as you pulling up to her house. It's like, do I, do I pull off or do I go ahead with the date? Some of those guys are going to pull off but some of them are going to be like, I'm just going to grin and bear it through the rest of this night. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, that's interesting because it's, um, you know, you meant the, in terms of timing with the draft right around the corner, I wonder too, then, you know, they'll have to get some clarification on how that affects his status with the league's substance abuse program because like we like we saw with josh gordon that second time he got popped for weed he didn't you know in two tests he was barely above the threshold of one and then the second one was below the threshold and this is a famous secondhand smoke thing with josh gordon but it didn't matter i mean you know in terms the league's the league's drug policy is is the league's drug policy and i think teams are really going to have to be confident about that with a guy like ray or 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 Randy Gregory coming into that. I think it's, I saw that. I think I saw that he was going to be, and this is you know based on some guy talking about it on Twitter. But I think I saw that he's going to be entered into the NFL's drug program. So, right, I saw that know. too. So yeah, he's right. well. So then he's. Well, well, I mean, well, you know, he's like, one not, step not away as from far as you know suspensions or anything like that. But that right. very initial phase stage of one. being in the program, they say he he would be enrolled in the program. I guess presuming that he's going to be found guilty or what have you. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's an unfortunate circumstance, but, you know, it's, it's, it's the most unfortunate circumstance, and this is really sort of a troubling one, is, is the situation with uh, 
LSU tackle, offensive tackle Lyle Collins. Um, he's he's a person of interest. The police have interviewed him. His ex-girlfriend, 29-year-old woman in Louisiana, Baton Rouge, um, was murdered. They believe was murdered. Um, I'm just trying to kind of catch myself up here as we go. But believe was murdered. Um, former girlfriend, she was uh, pregnant. He's going to have a – or she did give birth to the baby, according to Pro Football Talk. Um, he's was scheduled to take a parenting test next week, but he's going to go ahead and do that. And he's nine, probably a first round pick. He's going back to Louisiana. He's not going to the draft after all to kind of get this work with authorities is what his lawyer is saying. He's going to go work with authorities. They've identified where he was the day the lady was murdered, quote unquote. So they've kind of established, you know, he wasn't at the scene or anything like that, but it's a, you know, it's a, it's a sticky situation for anybody to be caught up in especially a guy that's getting drafted, you know, probably going to be a first-round pick tomorrow night. Do you, we followed this. Does this, does this change his draft status? Do, are, do teams, uh, you know, do teams maybe withhold a little bit until they find out more? I mean, because I think the troubling thing about this, there's just not a lot of information out there right now about this, whether he's, a, you know, whether he's involved in it or not. There's just still sort of this cloud around it as to what's going on with authorities or not. Yeah, I think I think the uncertainty is the problem. You know, like odds are he's going to be completely exonerated and, and whatnot. But I think teams right now, you know, especially with what's going on with Hernandez, might look at him and be like, "Well, crap!" Like, you know, odds are he's fine. But do we have time to figure out for sure if this is really going on? Like, if what's going on here? And um, there's like you know, a two days until the draft. So can they get their their investigative people on it quick enough to, to completely feel comfortable going forward with the pick. So I think just the uncertainty is what's the problem, you know, not necessarily that they think he's guilty, but um, just that, you know, they don't know for sure. Steven, what do you, how, how do teams take in this news? Well, it, it's hard to say because it's very early into a, a homicide investigation. And so it's not like, a cut and dry situation like Shane Ray, where he definitely had the weed, mm-hmm. or, or or anything else. We would like to believe that he didn't have anything to do with this, and of course, his agent or lawyer or whoever said he was nowhere near the place, which is kind of his job to say that. But until the police come out and say he's no longer a suspect, uh, and, and they're probably not going to do that anytime soon, yeah. How can you be comfortable drafting the guy? You know, especially right on the heels of Aaron Hernandez's uh, trial just finishing up. You, you just, you're leery of even being associated with him, even though that might be very unfair. Now, the, the problem is, it, it, it's not like a Greg Hardy situation where you can ask for uh, uh, the, 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 the files and stuff from the police because they're still, still doing the investigation. Yeah. And yeah. you can't really send anybody to also investigate while the police are still doing their investigation. So you almost have to take his or his agent's word for it to a certain extent to, to get a comfort level with drafting him. And and what could they say really to give you that comfort level right now? I, I'm just not sure about it. So, and, and here's a guy that was probably going to be the first tackle off the board. Yeah. But if you, but if you need a left tackle and you're pretty sure this guy didn't do it, you know, do you take that chance? Because pretty sure, you know, people are pretty sure. I, I would say the Patriots are probably pretty sure they didn't hadn't drafted a murderer either when they drafted Aaron Hernandez. 
Right. Yeah, and you well, saw, it, and I think that's the thing with the Hernandez on the back end of it, and that you saw with the trial was that all the research that you know teams put into you know their draft picks, background history, and and, and those sort of things, and it still just doesn't. You know, I mean, they knew Hernandez had a temper problem. They knew he had problems at Florida, but it didn't seem like you know these weren't in the information they uncovered. They weren't the kind of problems that you know foretold a guy that was capable of this kind of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's like, yeah, it's just the worry that, you know, you have Ray Carruth on the mind too. Like, yeah. you know, he, was, he wasn't the guy who pulled the trigger, but he was behind it. So, like, maybe they're worried somehow that Lael Collins is connected. I'm not saying that's the case at right. all. Like, right. that's completely unfair. But, like, you know, if he is the father of the baby, then that's typically where the, you know, investigations tend to start. So, um, you know, it's just, it's the uncertainty of the whole situation. They can't necessarily completely rule him out at this point. It's it's terrible, unfortunate timing for him, assuming he's completely innocent, you know. But mm-hmm. I think it's just one of those, like, things that I think teams probably have, you know, they're probably worried about it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go back. One, we got one more trade room, and this might be, I don't know if this is absurd or not. It, it, to, on the surface, it looks kind of absurd, and I sort of snickered at it yesterday, but it's not going away, and... His contract situation maybe points to something that this is either um, you know one of those public negotiating deals or or uh, or or the real thing. But uh, it's the Jets and Muhammad Wilkerson on the trade block. Yeah, that potentially. Is and and that's interesting. The Jets have the just for some background. The Jets have the sixth pick in the draft this year. It looks like they're not gonna you know if Mariota fell that far. It, it looks like they're content with Geno Smith for another year at least at quarterback. So, uh, you know, there's the potential, I guess, they have to draft Leonard Williams is, is something people have kicked around in the discussions of this. It seems hard to see Williams falling all the way to the sixth spot. Stranger things have happened. And they could always trade, I guess. But uh, are you buying, Stephen, are you buying the Mo Wilkerson trade talk? Well, only in as much as maybe they don't want to pay, pay his price. Mm-hmm. But this is a fantastic player, man. I mean, you know, uh, Rex Ryan couldn't say enough good things about him, and rightfully so. But this is a new regime. Yeah. Uh, Rex Ryan's gone. You got Todd Bowles in. And you know what? Todd Bowles, in his defenses, he likes to use his linebackers more mm-hmm. so than his defensive line to create pressure. He likes those double A-gap blitzes, for instance. For instance. And so it may be that, uh, defensive end and his three four scheme is just a little bit undervalued. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, yeah. So, so maybe they feel like we can't break the bank for this guy when we're really trying to build up other positions that are more critical to this defense. Look, they got one of the, with the hundred million dollar secondary. Yeah. So, right. so, so you can't <laughs> pay everybody, and uh, the worst thing you can do as a GM is to have a guy as good as Wilkerson. And let him leave without getting something back for him. So yeah, I can yeah. buy it because you know you're kind of uh, buying high. I mean, selling high, so to speak. You, you're yeah. gonna get a good amount uh, of picks and maybe even a player back for a guy of the caliber of Muhammad Wilkinson, and you definitely don't want to see him walk away and you don't get anything back in return. No, and it's interesting too. There's as recently as April 11th, the the Newark Star Ledger reported that an ex- a contract extension for Wilkerson could, you know, reasonably get into the thirty million dollar guaranteed range. And I think that's very reasonable with what we've seen defensive linemen make the last few years in free agency. And now Wilkerson's under contract this year. 
they picked up his fifth-year option, so he's under contract for 2015 and 2016 at pretty reasonably cost, you know, a cost-controlled level. Two more seasons at a very team-friendly, you know, salary for the guy. So it's a, you know, he's a he's a valuable trade chip they have if they do want to move around or if they do feel like, you know, maybe that they with the sixth pick they can get a they're confident they can get Vic Beasley or somebody like that because they don't really have that rush linebacker you know, that uh, in that defense, as good as that defense is, that's the one thing it could probably use on, uh, on top of the roster there. And there were some, you know, obviously Wilkerson, Mo Wilkerson's one of the best, you know, three, four DNs in the league. Maybe, you know, he's top, top three. But, you know, if you're looking at the uh, free agency period this year, there was, there was a pretty good group of, of defensive linemen, you know, versatile guys that could come in and fill that role. And, and like Steven was saying, like perhaps – you know, the new administration, the new regime there doesn't really see that as one of the key positions in their defense. So, um, yeah, it, it just goes to balancing where they're paying people and, and you know, uh, like allocating resources to where they believe it's going to be the most impactful. So um, they could just decide that they'd rather just use, a, like, a veteran there and, like, on a one- or two-year deal and, and, and move forward without him. It's, it's very interesting, though. Yeah, it's a there's a there's a lot of stuff going on right now. This could be one of the more interesting drafts, I think, because you know there's not a lot of that. You don't have that household name factor. That I think you had more so last year, and not just not just because of Menzio, but just you know, because of a, a group of players. And, and Mariota and Winston have been they're the top two quarterbacks. Winston's a little more you know kind of know there's not much drama around where he's going to get picked versus Mariota. But I think once that uh, it could be a pretty wild ride tomorrow yeah. night when we get to the first round. I think it's going to be one of the weirder drafts in memory, in recent memory, honestly. I just have that gut feeling that it's going to be a lot of crazy trades. There's going to be a lot of, like, holy crap, you know, type picks. Um, it's I, I just can't wait for it to get going. Definitely. And let's go. I think we've hit all the trade rumors that are, you know, sort of reasonable to, to talk about. I know there's a <laughs> bunch out there from sort of, you know, the incarcerated Bobs and people like that of, twi- of the Twitter the, the, that float around the anus of Twitter and, and make up trade rumors and stuff like that. But uh, so we'll we won't dignify those with the response or comment. But I do I want to go back and ask you guys because we've spent a lot of time and, you know, here we are just over 24 hours until it starts. But we've all spent a lot of time, you know, breaking down the guys, writing about the players, looking at the players, watching the players, looking at the teams, thinking about the draft in in so many different ways. And I want to go back. I just want to ask each of you, your three favorite players in the draft that you're most excited to watch, whether you was watching them in college and you're excited to see them in the NFL or just that you, you know, caught on to these guys going through the tape and watching them play. It's a... Uh, it's always kind of fun. I'm gonna start with you, Danny. Give me your three guys that you're most excited about. Your yeah, favorite well, I, guys, excited I, I, about whichever. Yeah, I, I wrote about it this week, and uh, you know, the number one guy for me, he is just an explosive electric player. Is Amir Abdullah from Nebraska? I think he's getting underrated a little bit because he's he's not very big. He's only about 205 pounds, but um, I think he has a he has a spot in the NFL. He, he's really good returner. You know he's he's extremely effective in space. He's tough. He's he's physical. He's yeah. He's you know he plays bigger than he is, and he can make guys miss you know in the open field. And and he's also a really good receiver. So I think he's just he's a really versatile guy. Um, and he's going to come in and, and probably you know make an impact his first year with whatever team picks him up. 
Uh, another guy that I really like is, uh, you know, someone that Stephen wrote about this week is Philip Dorsett out of Miami. Um, he's just so fast and, and, and fun to watch. You know, he's averaged 25 yards per catch for the last couple of seasons. Um, he has a lot of explosiveness in it. I think he looks like, he looks a lot like John Brown, you know, third round pick from last year, but he's a little bit more, uh, you know, he's, he's a little thicker. And we, we've said that he's John Brown with a squat rack. And so <laughs> he, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's, he's one of those guys that can, like, when you throw the ball, he's matched up close with the corner, but then by the time the ball gets to him, he's about three yards ahead. So, um, he's an interesting player for me. Um, another guy that I really like is Shaq Thompson out of Washington. I just think he's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit in terms of the buzz around him. Um, but because he doesn't have a real solid position at this point, I think people are wondering whether he's a safety or a linebacker, but, um, I just think he can cover. He can he can play the run. He's instinctive. Um, he's rangy. He's got long arms. Um, and you know, the team that picks him up, I think he's going to be able to use him. They're going to be able to use him in a number of roles, and he'll be effective. So um, those are three of the guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing where they land, and um, kind of I'll be watching them as as like the the preseason starts up and everything. So yeah, there you go, Steven, Your three your three favorite um, guys. Well, my three favorite, I'm going to start with Vic Beasley because I, I just was so impressed watching this kid on film. I still to this day don't understand the people who don't like him uh, <laughs> uh, per se, but to each his own. I, I just I real, feel real strongly that he's the top edge rusher in his draft, and I made the prediction in my column, and I'm sticking to it. I think he's going to have 10 sacks barring injury in his first season, especially if he goes to a team that knows how to use him. But even if he doesn't, he's just one of those guys to me that is a can't-miss guy because of his pass rush ability and technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I, I like Philip Dorsett, too, but I'm going to go with Jalen Strong. Uh, he's a guy who wasn't uh, fortunate enough to have a stable quarterback situation. Uh, the guys trying to throw it to him couldn't hit a fat bear in the ass with a two-by-four. <laughs> uh, but he still made – I mean, they gave him opportunities to make some fantastic catches, though. They just ended up being out of bounds. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing because I think he's going to slip down to, you know, maybe end of the first round, maybe in the middle of the second round, and you end up going to a better team that has an established quarterback. So I would love to see what this kid can do when he has a quarterback that can actually throw it to him accurately. Mm-hmm. And uh, lastly is a guy, uh, his write-up came out, uh, I think yesterday, uh, Preston Smith. Uh, he's a defensive lineman out of Mississippi State. And he's an interesting case. He's he's a, a little kind of in between weight wise. He's around two hundred and seventy pounds. Uh, he played mostly defensive end or or edge guy for Mississippi State when they would go to some mm-hmm. three four looks. He might even stand up. But the, the the best work I saw him do was inside as a pass rusher. I mean, he they would line him up right over the center, and he has his arm over down to perfection. Uh, he did, he got so much pressure just beating the center and sometimes even the guard with this arm over. And I'm, I'm very interested to see, uh, one, where he goes, because I'm hoping he goes somewhere where they're going to move him around a little bit, maybe like one of those Seattle Seahawks 4-3 style yes. defenses. Yes. But uh, number two, man, I mean, just, just, just to see if those things are actually going to work, because I think they will on the next level. It kind of reminds me of a smaller version of uh, – Jay Ratliff, back when he was young with the Cowboys, Jay was always undersized, but he played inside. And, and I could see 
maybe uh, uh, Preston Smith being able to do the same thing, put on maybe 10 more pounds and be a hell of a three technique. So uh, I'm really interested to see where he ends up going. Well, it's going to be fun all around. Those are all, I mean, you know, who knows what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm anxious to get it started. This is now where it's sort of like, it's like Christmas. It's like you're, <laughs> you build it up, you build it up, you build it up. And then like December 24th rolls around. You're like, I can't build it up anymore. Just let's get it on. Yeah. Let's get it done. And so I think it's at that, it's, it's at that point for me, for sure. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, uh, I think we're going to have a lot of stuff for everybody to read. Um, be sure to check out our draft preview. We've got all Steven's scouting reports collected on there. We've got one more uh, coming up soon from Steven. Hopefully going to get that up today. If not, it'll be first thing tomorrow morning. Um, we've got uh, the final mock draft coming out. So there's, there's plenty of draft-related stuff on, online for you if, you, uh, if, that's your, if that's your cup of tea. <laughs> guys it's been a good draft and i'm looking forward to uh or it's been a good draft Pod- so to so to speak i guess podcast is probably a more appropriate um way to put that but uh that's <laughs> gives you a little indication where i'm at right now so uh <laughs> let's uh let's reconvene next week and we can uh we can hand out those ever popular draft grades no i'm just kidding yes. on that but we can Absolutely. debrief <laughs> on the draft that was so uh Well, guys, take care and um, get ready, and let's have some fun this weekend. Sounds good to me.